Now we'll have the sermon brought to us today by Elder Barnabas Grayson, entitled, In Worship of God. Barnabas? Pray for magic carpet ride here. <laughs> Elder Barnabas Grayson, older Barnabas Grayson, her birthday was last month. This morning, I didn't know what I was going to talk about today, what the message was going to be about. So around 7.15, I, I prayed for inspiration. And it is no coincidence that the first message is also about the same message that I have this morning, even though the titles are different. I ask no coincidence, brethren, I don't think. So... Not exactly the same, so, you know, don't leave right away or anything. But, but this is called In Worship of God, and that's why we are here today. In Worship of God. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, Christ said, I will build my church. Today, we know that there are many churches made up of different sizes, of different people, of different doctrines, different beliefs and ideas and all of that amounts to really no small confusion when you think about it yet as some explain they're they're all tied together by uh, one common goal of, of salvation and serving God in in the meantime now God knows those who are his he knows who are his children he knows who have faith and belief in him and and in believing prayer so we can't really judge their sincerity or their faith, but rather we examine our own selves to see whether or not we be in the faith according to the Word of God as we see it in this handbook that he inspired for all of us to this day. So, nevertheless, years ago there used to be a, an advertisement in, in the newspaper, and sometimes you might see it on the billboard where it says to attend the church of your choice. And that's because there are so many religions, so many churches, so many ideas and beliefs to choose from, and so you just find the one that suits you. So it's like when I go to Golden Corral, there's a lot of food there, all that Reggie knows. <laughs> That there, there's a lot to pick from, and sometimes you want everything, and you get everything going together, it doesn't do your stomach very, very good. But you got to try it all before you find out what you really like. But that's the way religion is today. That's the way churches are today. There are just so many choices you can, you can pick from. So we have our own reasons, I suppose, for coming to this church. And uh, when, when you think of other people who have a choice to whether to go to church or, or not, uh, some will choose it out of convenience because it might be just down the street. It might be because the aesthetic appeal, the architecture, the stained glass, all of those things that uh, might get them to come. And still, many believe that church going is a vital part to salvation following Christ, that church membership and church attendance are all necessary to salvation. But following that vein of thought, of course, 
many you know churches hold campaigns they hold revivals they establish programs that will try to get people to be members or to come to church more often or to uh, get people to think about God and where their lives are heading because sometimes when things go wrong in our society and in our nation that people don't know why they don't have a full and complete hope that they would have if they would read the Word of God or be among people who come together regularly to help one another and encourage one another and be inspired by one another to uh, worship uh, with each other. We know that there is merit to you know evangelizing, merit to uh, establishing programs and, and building churches, you know the physical structures that uh, have a way of appealing. On the other hand, there are some who just don't believe it makes any difference whether you attend church or not, or whether you are a member as long as you feel like you are a Christian. And the so-called unchurched, they represent a vast multitude of people who, for various reasons, have their own reasons for not attending church. They're not sold completely on church. They don't believe it's really necessary. And, of course, who's to blame when you have so many uh, confusing religious uh, doctrines and ideas to choose from? There's a story about a young boy who was walking to church, and uh, his neighbors picked him up, and they were all, uh, they were all dressed for uh, uh, church. And it wasn't long before they, you know, he hopped on. It wasn't long before they dropped him off at the church he was going to. And as he was early, so uh, he went into the church, and his uh, Sunday school teacher was there. And he thought about it, and, and he asked uh, the church, uh, the, the teacher, why didn't they just come in here to worship with us? And so sometimes you think, why, we've got one church here, but there's another church just on down the street, another body of believers just on down the street. Why don't we all get together? Well, we know that there are a lot of things that can divide people's thinkings. But how would we answer? What would we say? How would we point uh, the way to the right church? Maybe it has to do with family. It might have to do with tradition. Of course, it has a lot to do with doctrine and ideas that, uh, that have shaped our thinking over the years. Maybe it's uh, for a certain way of preaching. Maybe it's for a certain inspiration that they feel uh, in the church. So we ask ourselves, what would we say if we were to recommend a church? Where is the best place for fellowship? Where is the best place to find the truth? Or should they even go to church? So in essence, we ask, where is the church that Christ built? Oh, I was looking under here for Kleenex. <laughs> Wasn't looking for the church. <clears throat> so what would we recommend? What does it look like? What does it do? What are the people like? Sometimes you can tell uh, from what church they're from by the way they wear their dresses. Sometimes by uh, the beehive hair on top of their head. Or as, as they would uh, 
as I would look in the old days. I still do. I carry a briefcase. Briefcase case carrying church. It's the way most of us used to be. Or a New Testament carrying church. That's what the people might look like. Or maybe what part of town do they come from? So there's a lot of factors that go into deciding what church we go to. But in Matthew chapter 16 and in verse uh, 18, Christ said, I will build my church. I'm going to be turning to these scriptures, so you'll have to bear with me, uh, because my fingers are not used to doing the walking, because usually I have my scriptures all printed out, you know, on the computer program, and since our, we moved to uh, another place, stuff is still in boxes, so it might take me a little bit of time to get to some of these scriptures. But in uh, verse uh, 18, he's speaking uh, to Peter, he said... And I say also, oh, let me go to verse 17. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. So what is he uh, talking to Peter about? Well, when you look back uh, in the earlier verses there, he's asking them, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, some say you are John the Baptist. Elias and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said unto them, But whom say you that I am? And so Simon Peter, he answered, he said, You are the Christ. You are the Savior, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus answered and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto you in verse 18, that you are Peter, you know, Petros, or pebble, or small stone. And upon this rock, referring to himself as Petra, the big rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell, that is, the gates of the grave, or Hades, shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be bound in heaven. We know in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20 it says that you are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So all you need to know, he's saying, is in their words, is in the scripture that you read about their examples and about how God dealt with these uh, apostles and these prophets. And that the church, he said, would never die out because there would always be a continuance over time and, you know, over generations. And so we ask ourselves, well, what makes up that church? And as we read earlier back in those uh, verses here in chapter uh, 16, that it begins with a call. It begins with a faith, a basic belief that there is a living God and that he was to send his son, Jesus Christ, for our redemption. In verse uh, 13 and 17, we read that it was God the Father who planted the disciples' faith in Jesus Christ, and the very same one who called you and me unto Jesus Christ. 
Verse 19 again, he said, Christ said, I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Things that come from above, of heaven. In other words, from the eternal. Do you have a lot of keys on your key ring? Or do you have maybe one or several keys? And they all go to different places. I have these keys. I've had them for almost 34 years. I've changed the strap maybe only once. I bought it from maybe Walmart a long time ago. And I've got a knot in it there. And it's all tied together. But these keys go to various places where I work. Key to the front gate, key to the front door, key to the main building, key to the closets, key to the file cabinets, uh, cinch key to lock the doors, you know, all sorts of stuff on here. And we all have keys. And so Jesus Christ is telling Peter that I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom. And there are certain keys, things that open our mind to God's truth. Whatever we might be looking for in our own particular, uh, particular life or at a, at a present time. Maybe we are lacking in faith at a present time, but we have the key that will unlock the door to faith or hope or strength or some kind of truth or some wisdom in our life. Maybe for endurance, maybe for mercy, maybe for forgiveness. All those things, those keys to the kingdom of heaven that he was going to give, and those keys have been passed on to us today as we, as we read the word of God. And where, we, where it says, and whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven, uh, we realize that Peter, or any man, was not given freedom to undo the things of God, as this verse might imply. But it's that authority, the church authority rests in heaven, in Jesus Christ, on issues that pertain to a right relationship in the church and with God and the truth. Let's uh, turn to Matthew chapter 18. Let's drop down to verse 15 to sort of uh, highlight this particular scripture. Uh, and understand it better. Matthew 18, verse 15. Moreover, if your brother shall trespass against you, you know, does something wrong to you, says something bad about you, or whatever, and even, even if he's in the church, go and tell him his fault, it says. That's the first thing to do uh, between you and him alone. No one else needs to know. And if he shall hear you, you have gained your brother. You've come to an understanding of love that you're together in all of this. Verse 16, but if he will not hear you, then take with you one or two more. Go find someone else that the issue's not settled. If it's not solved, bring someone else along and, and see if it can be solved that way. But if he... Uh, uh, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And when it's established, the other will be able to see uh, the direction they're go going and maybe apologize and say, you know, you're right, I I've been wrong. And, verse 17, or but, but if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto you as a heathen man and a publican. 
someone who's not interested in resolving the issue, someone who is not interested in applying the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, let them be unto you as a heathen man, someone outside the faith, not believing. For verily I say unto you, he's talking to the church, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. So, in my name, call upon, calling upon God and his word as the authority in life. Uh, in his name, in his honor, and in his authority, especially in things relating to God, God's will and worship, things can be settled. Now, we naturally think of a church as a building or a structure like we have here, but what Jesus Christ is talking to us about is a spiritual body, a spiritual essence, just like corporations or schools or there's a certain spirit that teams have that, uh, that just permeates the people that uh, are uh, a part of it. It's a spirit. So is a church. Now, we know that the church are called out ones because the word comes from the Greek word ekklesia, meaning to call out. As a, and as a group, it means called out ones, which, you know, we are. All who come to Jesus Christ are called out. And the church that Jesus Christ uh, is a, about a group, a group of called out ones, which, you know, can be broken down into individuals. And this is the church of the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 12. Let's drop down a verse. 12. For as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member but many. Sometimes there is a tendency to sometimes feel like an insignificant part of the whole. We wonder sometimes, well, what's my part in the church? What's my calling in the church? But we're not to feel that way. In fact, when feelings like that come along, it, it can lead to divisive thoughts. It can lead to doubt. It can make you wonder, is this where I want to be? Verse uh, 15. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? You know, the foot is different from the hand. The foot does one thing. It helps you to stand. The, the hand helps you to grasp hold of things. But it's all part of one body. It goes together. And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body. It's, you know, part of the whole in some way. 
If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? So everything about us, you know, every little part of us has some sort of function, whether you really notice it or not. One little tooth in, in, in your mouth, if it is decayed or if it's, it is hurting, then it affects the whole body because it is a part. Now, but now has God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it has pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. So we're all bodies, members in particular. Um, Brian, you know, has the uh, control of this, the scriptures there that are projected on the wall. Uh, there's different things that go on in the functioning of the church as a whole, the physical things. And there is also particular parts that we play whenever someone comes to us and say, you know, I really had, I really had some problems this week. Or so-and-so is sick and, and we give them encouragement in some way. We have a part, as we, as we will see. In verse, let's drop down to verse... Uh, my place okay and if they were all one members in verse 19 where were the body but now are they many members yet but one body so or and the eye cannot say into the hand I have no need of you you don't look at your hand and say I don't need you the hand says I don't need the eye because they have different functions they all work together Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. So, you know, we can get down to the nitty-gritty if we want to, as far as the human body is concerned. But it's like teamwork. It's like a team that has different players, different uh, jobs and duties to do as a part of the team. If there were no uh, center in football, there would be no center to snap the quarterback the ball. There would be no line, you know, to block and protect the passer. Everything goes together, and, and the coach who coaches. It's teamwork. All members of the body. For our, verse 24, for our comely parts have no need, but God has tempered the body together having given more abundant honor to that part which lacks. There is some parts of our body that are really, really, we can't do without. Use your imagination, I guess. That there should be no schism in the body. So he's comparing this to the church that we are in, that it all works together, that we can't do with really without one another but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. 
Now, verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. So, you know, this is the spiritual body together. And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? So we see that the eternal God, our Father, has given duties and he's given gifts. Some require physical attention like uh, governments and, and helps and speaking other languages. And some are spiritual in which there are gifts of hearing or healing where the effectual fervent prayer you know, of a righteous person avails much. You know, uh, you have, we have the prayer meetings. You have the prayer meetings where you meet and you pray, pray for people and for the situations that they are in. And something happens to that person. Maybe he doesn't know someone is praying for him, but somewhere along the line, a good happens to him. And it's a result of prayer. It's a gift of healing. It's a gift of spiritual encouragement in some way. So the, there are spiritual gifts that sometimes we realize that, well, I, you know, what good is my prayer? When in the end it is really helping someone. Verse uh, 30. Have all the gifts of healing. Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? You know, the, it's obviously uh, not everyone. But then it says, covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Covet earnestly the best gifts. You know, the, the, covet the good gifts. And you may not think you have those gifts now, but you know, over time, those gifts will come. So, God's Spirit, as long as it is working you, will bring you along. First Corinthians 13, where he's in verse 31, where it says here, But covet earnestly the best gifts, yet I show you a more excellent way. And in verse 1, Do I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity? I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Let's drop down to verse uh, 13. And now abides faith, hope, charity. These three, uh, these three but the greatest of these is charity. It's love. Love for not only God, but also fellow man. Faith, hope, charity. Sometimes in this world that uh, we live in, you know, hope gets kind of dimmed by all of the bad things that are happening. Not only to people we see around us, but even in our own life. But as a called out group of people, as called out by God, we have a commission to encourage one another, to help one another, to uplift one another, because our faith is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And sometimes, you know, uh, little words we say, little phrases we might give, or little gifts we might give, 
Those things can help. I have a habit of giving, uh, each time I see my grandchildren, uh, a, a triangle dollar. They call it uh, granddad dollars. And um, I tell them that the base here is love, charity. The other is faith. The other is hope. And maybe as they look at that at some point in their life, they will remember that faith, hope, is all built upon that love. The greatest of that, uh, of that is love. That's the base of the triangle. And the little apex, it all points upward, points upward to God. So there are a lot of things that we can do as called out by God, believing in Jesus Christ, to make other people live a more fuller, happier life. You know, the last song that we sang just before I came up here, that's one of the most touching songs that, that I have, I sing, or try to sing, because I, I do get choked up when I hear that. The, those, uh, those lyrics do touch me deeply. Because when you think about how Satan and this world is trying to take you out of your father's hand. But, uh, you know, faith to endure, hope to endure, all of those things. That the spiritual strength of God built upon the foundation of the prophets all have a way of anchoring us into this calling that we have. Now, Christ identified his church. Um, and how it came to be. Let's turn to John uh, 6, chapter 6, John chapter 6. Let's look at verse 44. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. So God is calling people in this day and age to come to believe in him. There was a time, you know, when the universe and this earth did not exist. And God decided that he wanted to bring into existence a habitation for people to live and to learn of his way. And that work is still going on. The, the creation is not finished yet. But in verse 44, we see that it is God that uh, draws that person to Jesus Christ. Now, we can read the rest of this, and I won't, but, it, but when Christ said that he was the bread of life and that uh, you must partake of him, you must eat of him, you must drink his blood, you must eat his flesh, and so many walked away because they did not see the spiritual side of what Christ was telling them. And so in verse in, uh, 66 of chapter 6, it says that from that time, many of his disciples, see there were disciples, they were students, they were being taught, they were listening to Christ, taking notes, whatever. But when they heard that, they went back and walked no more with him. 
they didn't understand the spiritual implication that in order to fulfill God's calling, they had to follow Christ and worship him only. They were worldly. They were seeking their own way rather than the will of God. Verse 67. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will you also go away? Because you have to keep the Sabbath. Because you have to keep the holy day. Because you have to be obedient to God, to Jesus Christ, believing in the Ten Commandments. Will you walk away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And so they were motivated by eternal life. Motivated by life beyond the present. And that's what it's all about. Living this life so that we can have eternal life. Who knows how things are going to be in that future that is to come. When you have all of space. You have all of the universe. That you will inherit in some way. We haven't, you know, been able to see or, or hear uh, of those joys that are beyond this life. Because those who have died, uh, like I mentioned before, it, it, they're in a transition from death unto life. The moment they close their eyes in death in an instant, they awake and see Jesus Christ coming to uh, give them eternal life. It's a wonderful thing to think about when you have that kind of hope. So Peter said there's no other way. That only Christ has the words of eternal life. So he's the main rock. The Petrus, the big stone, the big rock on which the church is founded. And all of its beliefs and all of its ideas and doctrines. And he's called the rock throughout the Bible. He's the head, not any man or any woman. In John chapter 15, to see how personal this calling was for you, in verse 16, it says that you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. So at one time in our life, as he looked down upon you for, in whatever situation you were, he decided that you would make a good election for him, a selection. And that he was going to choose you to bring forth uh, good fruit. Sometimes we, uh, you know, we don't always bear good fruit, being human like we are. We sometimes bring forth bad fruit, but then... In order to bring forth this good fruit, he also wants it to remain, to be a part of us. That, whatso that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you, and he said that you love one another. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. So you see that the church as a whole is not without a calling. Now for the disciples of that day... That calling is different from the ways of the world at that time. And it led many into being persecuted, to being crucified because of distrust, and many sought to kill them. 
And we know that Satan works through deception, as we heard earlier. The Apostle Paul, <clears throat> he endured many things for the sake of the church and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, when, he, uh, when he first visited Corinth, you know, no one really messed with him at that time, but uh, when he went again, it wasn't but about three months that uh, uh, they began to plot against him, to ambush him. Someone, you know, taking, you know, pot shots at him. So he knew the church. If he uh, had to endure those things, he knew also that the church was going to also suffer some of these persecutions. Because, after all, Paul himself had persecuted the church, and, and, and he knew how it, how it would happen. So he warns them, warned them. And that's just like the spirit of the world, that there is a real devil, that there are real spirit beings, that there are those that want to deceive, and more than anything, they want to divide and pry loose the things that, that we have by causing vanity, by causing envy, by causing even religious arrogance and intolerance to upset the faith of some. But we're all susceptible if we're not on, on guard because, you know, we're not perfect. And people call, can fall for almost anything. And in order to combat that, you know, the Bible says that we should be like the Bereans, search the scriptures and obey God rather than man. In Isaiah chapter 8, it's not fair you guys don't turn to the Bible, y'all just look at the screen. <laughs> I'm not used to really going back to the Bible like I used to, but in chapter 8, let's see. Chapter 8 and verse 19 There were deceivers in those days, too. And in verse 19, And when they shall say unto you, Go unto them, or seek unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto wizards that peep and that mutter, should not a people seek unto their God for the living to the dead? Some people think they can derive their answers from soothsayers, from fortune tellers from astrology and all the things that uh, go along with that because, you know, they're looking for answers, but they're going to the wrong source. And here's how you decide whether or not that their spiritual enlightenment can only, it can only be you know, validated by the word of God. And he said to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. So, you know, this word has to do with all scripture, which is inspired in, uh, by God for doctrine, for reproof, that the man uh, be thoroughly furnished under righteousness. In Ezekiel chapter 14, There you are. Right there by Daniel. Ezekiel chapter 14. Verse 2. Starting verse 2. Well, let's go to verse 1. Then came certain of the elders of Israel unto me and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, 
These men have set up their idols in their heart and put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their face. Should I be inquired at all by them? You see, the heart must be right. But these elders of Israel, they went to Ezekiel to inquire of God, but God, God told them. He said, these men have set up idols in their heart. Not these idols of, you know, stone or wood or things of that sort, but idols of men. They made preachers, they made other, you know, maybe someone or something, their idol. And it's in their heart. That's, that was their, their first uh, reason that it would be hard to cast out. And God saw that. Therefore speak unto them and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, every man of the house of Israel that sets up his idols in his heart and puts a stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him that comes according to the multitude of his idols, that I may take the house of Israel in their own heart because they are all estranged from me through their idols. How true that is today. We'd rather hear the wisdom of men or, or women rather than the word of God. And we put those things as idols in our heart. We can take, you know, bits and pieces from uh, the good sayings of, of people who have made their way in life and have influence in life as long as it is according to the word. But the idea is to not be deceived. Because we know in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 that, you know, the letters written to the church, that we see that every individual has a responsibility to God and worship Him only in spirit and truth. So we're to avoid spiritual uh, adultery. Next scripture. John 16 Oh, we were already there. I'm sorry. Uh, in Luke 15, it says, Christ, he, you know, he gives us this assurance, and he says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So he calls the church a little flock, a small group of people in the world who believe in his word. And Christ, when he came, he, he came to begin a work, and he left it to continue the hands of those who are called out. And John Chapter 5, verse 10, he said that they would, uh, they would bear witness of him. They would carry testimony of him. Because he had called these early disciples to teach him, to train them, to set the example of, of the things that he wanted them to know. And so he was ordaining them, giving them authority to become a part of the foundation of the true church of God. Matthew 28, you know, 18, uh, verse 18 through 20, we see the commission that he gave. And in Mark 16, and verse 15, that we're to preach to every creature the gospel, the good news, you know, not just any gospel, but the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of salvation, not prosperity, as some really emphasize. And of that gospel, he said, he pro and he prophesied that it would be preached in all the world as a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. He also told Peter... He said to feed the flock of God. He told him, told him that three times. So we're, uh, it's not to give up in the face of adversity or hardship or lack of wherewithal, but to, to do that. Revelation 3, chapter 8, talks about 
the open door. Acts 2, 47. Chapter 2, verse 47. We see where it was the Lord who added to the church daily as should be saved. And in Acts 5, 14, we see that more believers were added, a multitude of both women and men. And it's all a result of preaching the good news and through example. And in verse 38 through 40, 41 of chapter 2, it the message is to repent and be baptized, every one of you, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the church is called out unto repentance, to have God's Holy Spirit, the spirit of love toward God and toward neighbor. But if they have not the spirit of God, they are none of his. Matthew 24, we're warned to take heed that no man deceive you, and many shall be deceived, not a few, but many. Just going to read uh, these scriptures from John one twelve. I don't think I gave these to Brian. John one twelve. We have a spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ. As many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. Second Corinthians six eighteen, and He will be a father. Unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. In Galatians 4, verse 6, And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So the church are called out ones. People built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, who is the chief cornerstone. It is good, we know, that brethren dwell together in unity, but being people with human nature, to contend with, it's not always that way, but we're to strive for unity. But it all boils down to who has been called and who believes. Get my papers back in order because I am not wanting to keep you too long. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25, or you may look up on the wall. My eyes are going bad here. Hebrews, here it is. Chapter 10, it says to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. And you look above in, in verse 23, it says to, in verse 22, it says to let us draw near with a true heart of, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water, in verse 23, to let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful, that promise. And to consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. So the church is a family of believers. And, you know, there are others that are like us, tied to a common bond. 
the Holy Spirit of God, of which we are all members in particular, and that we all are in worship of God, that we all have the Spirit of God, the Spirit uh, to do His will, to worship Him in spirit and truth, and that is assent to His will. In the days to come, sometimes, you know, there may come a time in which we will not be able to meet. But then, the church is not just this building, it is, it is you. You are the church, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, because the temp, uh, as one who has a spirit in you, you are the church of the living God. You are in the body of Jesus Christ.